In fact, they've already started, and, and then we'll hear from Swamiji. Rafi and Amalia, Ocean Harvey and Leo. Very good. And whoever else is watching, well, uh, I'll say hello to all the people online later. So, So, Sabkobarasan Manekesat from Say Herdik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And um, a freight train passed through here called Ganeshpuri. It's quite extraordinary. <clears throat> um, you know, I. Uh, it's, I'm at a loss for words about it, really. I'm feeling quite emotional. It's wonderful to be back. It was wonderful to go. I'm delighted by the people who were there for the first time. Uh, that always is a pleasure to see them go there for the first time. And I also want to cite the people who stayed in the ashram and helped uh, the ashram continue and supported the ashram. I know who they are, and you know who they are. And uh, kudos to all of you. <clears throat> so we had an uh, extraordinary time uh, in Ganeshpuri. So many things. I saw people that were kids in the ashram 50 years ago when I was there. Now they're old people. How'd that happen? I've remained the same. <laughs> and so, uh, and uh, uh, Gumai and Nityananda's brother, Sanjay, came to visit. Very sweet. He's been here, too. He was a very cute little boy of about five when I first got to the ashram. And then uh, uh, Mahamandaleshwar Nityananda, one of Baba's successors, has opened a, a new ashram across the river, and he invited Devi Ma and I for uh, tea. We had a very good time talking about gossiping about 
old timers and Father's Day and stuff like that. And I saw a lot of uh, villages that I know. But of course, the main thing in Ganeshpur is not the individuals, although I have this strange karma with this little village in Ganeshpur after all these years. But the, the massive Shakti that's there, emanating from the Samadhi Shrine of two great, great beings, Bhagwan Nityananda and my guru, Baba Muktananda. And so it's, uh, when you're there, it's very hard to not to be affected by the intense mystical power of the place and of these great beings. And uh, <clears throat> going, in, as, uh, as uh, Yogi Sri says, uh, there's both bliss and tapasya. Tapasya means yogic burning. And uh, anyone who practices uh, sincere spirituality knows that it's not only bliss. We'd like to think it's just bliss. Uh, but if somebody who says it's just bliss is lying to you, uh, there's also a, a fair degree of burning through old tendencies and old patterns and sometimes very painfully. But in the end, it all is bliss. In the end. Uh, and so Ganeshpuri is filled with that. It's a, a tapo bumi, a place of great tapasya. And of course, on my first visit there, when Stephen, when Stephen said he'd gone eight times, I started counting up my visits. I'm not sure how many times I've been. Something like 20, I think. But uh, the first time was a three-year visit, my stay in, in the ashram, and that was extraordinary. Uh, because I burned through so many things, and there would be highs and lows and all kinds of things. But uh, I want to say that if, if you went to Ganeshpuri with me this time, uh, come again. And if you've never been to Ganeshpuri, really, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to experience it at least once in your life, because it's like going through a portal into another world, into a higher world. And you, the, uh, the Earth's crust is very thin there, and you can feel the, the nearness of the divine uh, wonderfully well. <clears throat> but we'll let, I'll let all those stories come later. Anyway, I was thinking about what to do, and I thought, uh, I want to share the experience of Ganeshpur with everyone. Uh, it's hard for me to let it go. I feel kind of emotional about it. So I thought I'd do a Ganeshpuri program. I did a special kind of satsang there, which was a combination of Bhagavan Nityananda and Baba Muktananda, and then a few notes from the tea shop to bring everyone down at the end. <laughs> and so I thought I'd, I'd do that. And then later in the program, uh, Girish has put together uh, he edited a lot of footage uh, that was filmed there by a number of people who I'll mention later. Uh, and we has got about a 25-minute <clears throat> video of the tour, and she, which you'll find wonderfully well. And no darshan uh, today, because a lot of people, nobody got COVID, uh, but, <laughs> but we got everything else. <laughs> People came back with cold and all kinds of weird stuff. I'm still fighting. You might hear it in me. I'm fighting it off. 
and then I'll capitulate. But by next week, I think everything will be normal. There's still a number of people who are not in satsang tonight because they still have that. <clears throat> so he thought, no darshan tonight. Next week, return to normal, hopefully. Uh, but this is um, the kind of program I did in Ganeshpur. So we begin, of course, with uh, the, it's, a, it's a little village, and the centerpiece of the village is the, the temple, the Samadhi shrine of Bhagwan Nityananda. And um, I, I remember, uh, Premji will have to forgive me for this story. I remember the first visit where Pamji uh, came, that she came on, and uh, I said, what do you think? Do you, what's your favorite place in the, in the, you know, here? She says, oh, that big temple. I like that big temple. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, you know, Bhagavanitananda is buried there. And she looked at me like, whoa. That explains it. <laughs> it does. Because it's a very powerful uh, spiritual center. So that's the, the, the center of town. And then there are many other, uh, you can only say, ho describe as holy sites there. And then a little bit up the road is the ashram that, of uh, Baba's ashram, where I did all my three years of sadhana there. Uh, and uh, we were able to visit that ashram and uh, see, go to Baba's Samadhi Shrine. And I sat in the hall where I did a lot of my seva in those days. And then some of the people went to Guru Gita in the courtyard there. So it was great. Bhagwan Nityananda said, <clears throat> and Bhagwan Nityananda was a being of few words, but one devotee, Tulsiyama, had the good sense to write down some of his utterances. They were quite uh, cryptic and strange utterances sometimes, but he, she wrote them down and because that we have some of his teachings. Uh, he said, it is rare to be a millionaire. All cannot be millionaires at the same time. I love that. There's only a finite amount of money. So not everybody can be a millionaire. Because if everything was inflated, everyone could be a millionaire. But it wouldn't be worth anything. <clears throat> but if we were to, to reform the world, why not? We could all be millionaires. Anyway, he says, everyone is rewarded according to his due. There's plenty of water in the sea. How much water you get depends on the size of the container you bring. So it's not really about being a millionaire, it's about spirituality. There's plenty of water in the sea. There's plenty of shakti. There's plenty of spirituality, plenty of love, plenty of joy in the universe. And the degree that you experience it depends on the container, your mind and your heart. And if you purify the mind and purify the heart and become a really good container, there's no limit to the amount of love and joy and peace and freedom that you can contain. 
And that's why we do sadhana, is to increase our capacity to hold that experience. He goes on. The residue of past action determines the fruit. So this is the law of karma. It's because of these past actions that you're interested in the teachings of holy men. Not everybody is interested in the spiritual teachings. Um, when you enthusiastically tell all your friends about it, you discover that quickly. Um, the, uh, so that the fact that you are interested, that we here are interested, it was a result of mysterious actions in the past, past lives, whatever. For some reason, we, this interest is there. I know that when I look back on my childhood and uh, that there's not one person that I grew up with or one person that I went to school with who's followed a path like I have. <laughs> it's very unusual. I, I can't account for it. But uh, for me, it was discovering uh, the world of the Shakti, the world of yoga, was a revelation. <clears throat> he says, because of that, you're interested in the teachings of holy men. It's because of these past actions that you don't find satisfaction in the world. <clears throat> you, get, you say, well, that's limited. There's something beyond. You ask, is there something more? Is there something more? You can see the finiteness of that. He says, for those who are so guided, there is no need for special renunciations. Vairagya itself is the result of past actions. So if you really have that interest, that desire for liberation, you don't have to make a big show of renouncing things and, and uh, austerities because that feeling, that desire for the divine is enough to do it. The Sagadari used to say, it's earnestness that's the most important thing. And by that he meant uh, what's called mumakshutva in the, the Indian scriptures. It means a desire to know the self, a desire to attain everything that you can attain spiritually, a desire to transcend this uh, the difficulties of life. He says, for such people, now is the time to pursue liberation. So this is encouraging. It's hortatory. It's saying, it's saying that if you have that urge to know the higher truth, don't waste time. Pursue it now. It doesn't mean give up your job and family and go to the Himalayas. <clears throat> we, met, we met one fellow who'd done that, met him in Ganeshpuri. It doesn't mean, uh, maybe more than one. Uh, it doesn't mean that, but it means follow that interest. Meditate every day. Contemplate the truth. Come to the ashram. Save your pennies and go to Ganeshpuri the next time we go. <clears throat> Another one. Bhagavan Nityananda said, when you've attained perfect peace, there is no necessity of going anywhere. 
There's no necessity of seeing anything. There's no necessity of going to Kashi, Rameshwar, Gokarna, and other holy places, except Ganeshpuri. It's, there's a lot of, you know, some people are addicted to going from, these are all holy places. Uh, they're in, mostly in South India. Kashi is Benares, that's not South India, but Rameshwar, Gokarna, places in South India that are considered holy places. But of course, to a devotee of the guru, uh, the holy place is his guru's ashram, her guru's ashram. And also, or if, if the guru has passed on, the guru's samadhi shrine, where the guru is buried. These are the, the places. And so with that exception, uh, it's true. The rest of it is spiritual tourism. He says, Bhagwan says, and Bhagwan, of course, is absolutist in his view. He says, all this is seen in the mind. There's no difference from one place to another. It's all in your mind. It's just in your mind. <clears throat> Going and coming are delusions of the mind. In a sense, whatever's in Ganeshpur is also here. Whatever's in the ashram is also wherever you live. There's only one truth and it's everywhere. Just the highest truth. <clears throat> but to understand that truth, sometimes you have to no, go to ashrams and go to Ganeshpuri. It says, when peace is attained, all appears to be the one. Everything is the one stuff. Liberation from bondage is seeing the one in all and the all in one. So to be truly liberated is to see no differences. Everything is one. We have lots of uh, preferences. This is good, this is bad. We want to try to get the good, get, avoid the bad. We have huge amount of preferences on every level, huge ones and small ones, medium-sized ones, all kinds of preferences. But for someone in Bhagwan Nityananda's state, there's equal vision, equal vision. He sees God everywhere at all times. <clears throat> he says, this is desirelessness. So that's the key. Uh, just like the Stoics would say, to be without desire is the key to happiness. Without preferences, the key to happiness. The thing in the hand must be seen in the hand itself. That's a very Bhagwan. If you have a thing in your hand, you have to, where do you see it? You have to see it in the hand. You cannot find it anywhere else. So also, Everything must be tested in one's own thought, inside oneself. It's a wonderful statement. So if you're going to look for the truth, where do you ultimately look? You have to look within yourself. You have to find that truth within your own mind, at the core of your own mind, in your own consciousness. He says, we keep looking for it. He's saying, don't keep looking for solutions to problems Externally, the solutions lie within. This is the credo of the yogis, to look for that, that truth within. Everything must be tested in one's own thought. Have an experimental attitude towards your own inner process. See what expands your inner experience. See what contracts it. 
if you really focus on it, you get a lot of surprises. We have an illusion about what will... We all want to feel better. From the most spiritual to the most worldly person, everyone wants to feel better. Everyone wants to feel better. Everyone wants to feel good. But we just have a different theories of what makes us feel good. We think money will make us feel good. We think Mr. Right or Miss Right will make us feel good. We think a big house, a big car, a good job, adulation and fame. We think all these things will make us uh, feel good. That's what we think. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's only temporary. <laughs> I've lost the train of my thought. I got intoxicated. <laughs> what was I going to say? <laughs> so he says, it's in your own thought. That is, if you can work with the mechanism of your own inner being, you can find the key to this happiness. Oh, then, yes, I did want to say one more thing, is that we think these things, then, then we get to despair about all these things, and then we have recourse to alcohol and drugs, because we figure, well, we can't get all these things we want, so drug ourselves. And that works for a little while, but not for long, and then we're left without it. But by, by meditating, by looking within, we can find it. And this is what the yogis, the yogis say. <clears throat> so now we have a few from Baba, from Baba Muktananda. <clears throat> this one is called Dependence on the Guru, from a question-answer with Baba in the, on his uh, world, one of his world tours. He says, Yesterday you said something about depending on the guru. I have very rarely depended on others because I have not found many people on whom I could depend. <clears throat> you seem to be pretty dependable, <laughs> but I still find it hard to depend on you. Do you have any suggestions on how I should solve this problem? It's a very charming question, isn't it? And Baba says, by depending on the guru, I mean that you should depend on him for help and support. Very clever. Having faith that the guru will certainly give you shakti, give you energy, that it will always protect you, is what I mean by depending on the guru. In the Bhagavad Gita, great stress is laid on dependence on God. Lord Krishna tells Arjuna, Arjuna is the disciple. <clears throat> Take refuge in me alone. Give yourself completely to me, and I will free you from all evils. So it's the God or the guru saying, Take refuge in me. If a sick person hands himself over to a doctor's care, <clears throat> he has faith that the doctor will try every possible means within his power to cure him. A baby depends on his mother completely and has faith that she will look after him in every possible way. In the same way, you should learn to depend on the guru with the faith that you will certainly receive something from him. 
you certainly will, will receive that experience. This is devotion of, very, of a very high order. Such devotion brings meditation. When you have that kind of devotion, you will automatically go into deep meditation. And eventually, you go through a process that leads to the, to the self. Another one from Baba. <clears throat> Question. I have a family, a job, and many responsibilities, but I want to do your work. How can a devotee like me best serve the guru? It's a very good question because somebody who's got lots of worldly, uh, you know, you see people. Bless you. Bless you. Are you okay? <laughs> Everything's all right. <laughs> so, so um, people often feel that they, they see people living in the ashram and serving uh, full time, and then they say, "Well, I got a family, I got a job, I got all these things to do. It's hard for me." Baba says, "You have very few responsibilities and only one family." <laughs> he often would say, "I've got so many people that depend on me." He would say, "You know, you only got one." <clears throat> There, there have been so many people who have many families, still they do this work. Janaka was a great king, one of Baba's heroes, a, 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 a figure from the scriptures, a great king who was also a great realized yogi. <clears throat> a great sovereign, still he did this work. Man can offer his seva, his selfless service, to the guru at any time because it's really an attitude. It's not, doesn't have to be physical. And Baba goes into it now. The true seva, the inner seva is this. Always concentrate on soham. So whenever I want to do seva, I just look over there, soham, and I concentrate on him. <clears throat> now soham is, is the mantra, which means I am that. So what is Baba really saying here? Try to increase the space between so and hum. <clears throat> the out-breath and the in-breath. Increase the space. So and hum represent the mind, and the space between them represents the self. So increase the space and become established in that space. That is true Guru Seva. In our terms, we call it the clear space of good feeling. Bhavana Rako. Try to concentrate on good feeling, the space of balance within yourself, and increase that space. It's represented by the space between two breaths, or the space between two thoughts, but it's really a place of poise within ourselves, a clear space of good feeling. You can also offer your outer service whenever you have time and whenever it's convenient for you. So what Bob is saying, he's saying the real important seva is to focus on the self. Focus on that place within yourself. And he says you can also do some service, come to the ashram and help with something uh, and do that kind of thing. But the main thing is to work on yourself and try to expand 
that place of peace, that clear space of good feeling. You can offer your service in many, many different ways. And here's another thing. You can speak to one or two other people <clears throat> about what you experience and what you've received. So one way of serving is to spread the word about yoga. But, you know, that's a very difficult way of going it, because you discover that when you speak too enthusiastically from your own enthusiasm, people recoil. So you have to learn the art of talking about it in a way that people can hear it, about the joys of meditation and the, the goal of meditation and how easy it is to meditate. If you were to tell two or four people in your office or in your working field that such a state exists, even that would be a great savor. <clears throat> to spread the knowledge of the self, of the path, as much as you can. And to do that, you have to uh, observe very good discipline within yourself. You don't indulge yourself with your enthusiasm, but you have to speak to the listening of a person. It's very delicate. However, the greatest seva is to become completely anchored in porno hum, in the perfect eye consciousness, in, in the perfection within. As Baba told me, he said, I am the self. Contemplate, I am the self. To become completely still in every moment in the space between two syllables. You should become still in between the two syllables the in-breath and the out-breath. And there should not be any movement. Now, this should happen naturally. Don't try to do it. <clears throat> you should find that place of stillness and peace and try to be there as much as possible. As much as possible. In India, there's a saying. You explain this to me. A man wanted to make a pipe to smoke but he ended up making a big bucket. Don't do that. <laughs> Can you explain that? Pramji, you explain that? Never mind. <laughs> he made a big bucket. He wanted to make a little pipe to smoke, but he made a big bucket. And it's useless to smoke. So if you try too hard at spiritual goal, you defeat yourself. There's a certain way of doing it. <clears throat> As the prana go, comes in and goes out naturally, try to get into that space between the two breaths. This is a great state. If you look at the pictures of the great beings with this awareness, the ones all on the wall here, you'll know they become established in a hum, I am. A hum turns into purno hum, I'm perfect. That feeling of I amness. Very mystically, he's talking very mystically, but the sense of self. So this is great seva. Ordinary seva, sweeping the floor, giving money, giving food, giving clothes, pots and pans is all right too. And if you want to do it, do it also. It's all the different conventional ways you serve the ashram, serve the guru, that's fine. You can do your ordinary seva because it's your duty. You think that that is true understanding, but true guru seva 
is to get hold of that space and try to increase its duration. Follow the path of the Shakti to increase the space of consciousness, increase the space of peace. Try to get your mind to move towards peace rather than towards agitation. Away from anger towards peace. Away from worry towards peace. Away from hatred towards love. Keep moving your mind that way. That's it. The guru is very pleased when you do that. Very, very pleased. That's the true guru seva. <clears throat> the guru has told you to do this, and this is the true guru seva. You should carry it out completely. And now Baba tells a wacky story. <clears throat> Service to the guru is a great mystery. Once there was a guru at two disciples. He told them that the truth was all pervasive, <clears throat> that you could hear it from anywhere, that you could speak it from anywhere, speak to it from anywhere, that you could see it anywhere, and that if you, you would put your hand out, it would grab your hand. The consciousness was everywhere. <clears throat> One day the guru called both of his disciples <clears throat> and gave them a suite called Gulab Jaman. You know what Gulab Jaman is? It's a round ball. It's kind of brown, isn't it? And it's, got, it's in rose water. It's delicious, really good. Really good. <clears throat> that doesn't mean I want you all to get me Gulab Jaman. Gave him a sweet called Gulab Jaman. It was really delicious. And I could smell its aroma. He told each of them to find a place where there was nobody else and to eat the sweet there. One of the disciples just stood there in the awareness of non-wisdom. All he wanted to do was eat the gulab jaman. <laughs> Eventually went outside, hid behind a pillar, and swallowed it. There are some disciples who hide behind pillars. They hide behind bookcases. They listen at doors, they do that. And they eat their gulab jamans. <laughs> <clears throat> then he returned to the classroom, feeling very pleased with himself. I like that Bible calls it a classroom. <laughs> the other disciple set off in search of a place where there's nobody else and was gone a long, long time. Finally, he returned. When both disciples were together, the guru said to him, did you eat the gulab jaman? The first disciple said, yes, Guruji, I ate it two days ago. I was the first one to eat it. Where did you eat it? Do you see that bridge over there? Behind the bridge, there's a pillar. And I hid behind the pillar and ate it. <laughs> the guru asked the other disciple, what about you? The second disciple gave the gulab jaman back to the guru. He had not eaten it. He might have had a little pride when he gave it back, so we don't have to like this guy particularly. <laughs> He's virtue signaling. The guru said, he ate his two days ago. <clears throat> Within a second, why have you not eaten yours? The second disciple said, I wanted to eat it, but everywhere I went, I would remember your teaching that consciousness exists everywhere. It is all pervasive. No matter where I went, I felt its presence. There was no place where there was nobody else. The guru said, you have passed. The one who ate the gulab jaman passed in eating.
and the one who did not eat it passed in knowledge and in wisdom. Baba says, when you pass in this way, when you become established in the words of the Guru, you are performing true seva. <laughs> like that? <clears throat> All right, I think I'll do one, one note from the tea shop, or maybe two or six. <clears throat> Okay, these are some dharanas we can do. Shall we? All right. A note from the tea shop. You are thinking, feeling, doing creatures. Every one of us is a thinking, feeling, doing creature. The thinking body is the mind. The feeling body is the emotions, or we could say the heart. And the doing body is the physical body with all the arms and legs and so on. Thinking and feeling have to do with the inner world because thinking and feeling are inner world phenomena. Doing has to do with the outer world. When you meditate, you take, you take doing out of the equation. It's not a doing. You're just left with thinking and feeling. <clears throat> and we do that because the outer world activities distract us from the self. So we blank that out and we turn inward. Now you're left with your eyes closed and your mind introverted with a tumult of thoughts and feelings. When you turn within, that's what you got, isn't it? Close your eyes. Let's do this as a dharana, as, a, as an exercise. When you turn within, what you have is a, a, a tumult of thoughts and feelings going on. It could be going fast, slow, up, down, positive, negative, colorful or not. Say inwardly the A statement. I'm a thinking and feeling organism. Say that to yourself. I'm a thinking and feeling creature. Now, see if you can move towards the clear space of good feeling. Be there in that moment, feeling and thinking, and see if you can find a way to move closer to the clear space of good feeling. Now, perhaps you had a lot of success, perhaps you had medium success. How many had a lot of success doing that just now? How many had medium amount of success? <laughs> okay. Nobody's willing to say they had a lot of success. <clears throat> but I know who you are. Now, go to the feeling of I am. And let that I am take you to the feeling body. And say inwardly the A statement, I am feeling itself. Forget about your mind and just feel the feeling. Could be good or bad. Just say I am feeling itself. Feelings range from 
hatred to love to anxiety to peace, all kinds of feelings. So just be in touch with your feeling body right now. And stay with that and then relax. Relax. Okay. That's a very good exercise to do that. <clears throat> another one? You're in the mood for another contemplation? Okay. This is another note from the T-Shot. It's called Looking at Your Awareness. Close your eyes and look at the contents of your inner world. Say to yourself, this is my awareness. You know, it's funny, it's been with you your whole life, your awareness, but now you're focusing on it. This is my awareness. Look at your awareness without thinking about it or analyzing it. Don't say, oh, it's a pretty good awareness, or it sucks, my awareness sucks. Don't judge it, think, just look at it. Look at it the way you'd look at a, a beautiful pond or a mountain vista or a beach scene or an athletic field. And be sure to feel your awareness also. So you're not just looking at it, but you're feeling it. Now you're practicing self-remembering. You're looking right into the heart of the mystery your own awareness. Don't think about it, be with it. Look at it, feel it. It's a mystery. It's the self, it's who you are. Okay, so let's stop there. <clears throat> I'll do one more little dharma and we'll go into meditation. So in this dharma we just examine four centers within ourselves. These, these are the centers we look at in Shiva process work. The navel area, the heart, the throat, and the third eye. <coughs> so we look first at the navel area, and we see if there's tension there. Is there tension or is there good feeling there? Now we go up to the heart area and we see if there's tension or bad feeling, anxiety, or good feeling in the heart area. Just be aware of what's going on in the heart area. Now go to the throat area, same thing. 
throat might feel blocked or constricted or open and flowing. Be aware of it. And now to the third eye in the center of the brow. Does the third eye feel constricted or open? Is there a flow there or tension? Now find the one that has the most tension of the four centers we looked at. And I'd like you to sit with that tension and experience it and feel its shape, the feeling quality of it, and then try to release it into the absolute, into pure awareness. Just release it. Release the tension. Let go of the tension any way that you can. Let go of the tension. Relax the navel, heart, throat, or the third eye. Wherever there's tension, relax it, let it go. I will meditate now for 10 minutes. You can do that exercise of releasing tension at the beginning and then meditate as you like. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <laughs> 